Hello, hello, Kristen here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded before the podcast name change. If you hear any old terminology, that's why. Thank you for listening. Hello, hello, notable women. I hope that you are having a super fabulous day wherever you are in the world as you listen to this episode. And today I have a special treat for you. I am interviewing Marissa Jones, the founder, CEO, boss, producer, voice of The Vanished Podcast. I met Marissa because I was asking a question in a group about the wonderful world of iTunes, and she very nicely answered it. And she piqued my interest because I'm endlessly nosy. And so I had to look into what she did, what her podcast was, and found out that she runs Vanished Podcast. And again, endlessly nosy. So I downloaded an episode, listened to it, and was so impressed. What Marissa's doing on her podcast is so amazing and so important. I think you're going to really love to hear about her personal relationship with missing persons, why she started the podcast, what she does. She has so much integrity. It was such a joy to speak with her. I hope you enjoy the interview. I'll catch you on the flip side. Welcome to the Notable Woman Podcast. Today's interview is with Marissa Jones, a notable woman in many respects. She's a paralegal, mom, and runs the Vanished Podcast, which achieved the amazing status of new and noteworthy across all categories. Please join me in welcoming Marissa. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So you have a lot going on. How do you manage to balance all of the stuff that you have? Well, it is tough at times to balance it all because I work, I'm a paralegal. The worst part is my commute is about an hour. So I feel like I have this wasted two hours in my day. And then, you know, with all the podcast stuff, the podcast stuff isn't scheduled. It's it's like a constant, you know, always emails, even though, you know, there's like a one hour show it's so much more that goes into it and, you know, social media and emails and trying to keep up with that when you're working. And then, you know, having kids too, my kids are elementary school age. So we have homework in the evening. And so finding time for the podcast is sometimes tough, although I'm trying to transition sometime within the next year into podcasting full time and quitting my job, but I'm not doing that quite yet, hopefully in the near future, because at some point you kind of feel like you're burning the candle at both ends. I hear you on that. And I, how many children do you have? I have two. Two, and I have one. And so I feel like it's probably, you know, it's not double the work. It's probably exponentially more work. I feel like with kids, like stars, it's just a lot more to do when you have more than one. But I hear you. It's a lot to have a full-time job and run a podcast. I am with you on that. Now, what yeah. was the impetus for starting your podcast? At the time, I was listening to a lot of true crime podcasts. But I have an interest in missing persons specifically because, you know, way before I was born, my great grandfather went missing and it had this impact on my family for generations. Um, My grandfather and his siblings went into foster care and it was terrible and they never found out what happened to him. A lot of people in my family think he took off on purpose and that something bad didn't happen to him, that he abandoned his family. And so there's always this thinking that we could have family 
out there that we don't know we have, like he could have gone and started a new life. So, you know, back then that was easy to do. I've tried to look into it myself, but it's really tough to find people like pre-social security numbers. So I've always had this interest since I was a kid because I grew up knowing about this. And a lot of the shows that I would listen to would cover some missing persons, but they were more of the ones, like the select few that you hear about on the TV, that you see on the news. They're just the ones that the media has picked up on. They're more sensational. And I started requesting that they cover some more of these different unknown people. And I wasn't really getting anywhere. And one day I just said to myself, you know what, I'm just going to do it myself. And so with zero experience with audio and podcasting and all that, I just set out to do it. And like my early episodes are rough, man. I mean, I've always dedicated myself to improving the show with each episode. And for, you know, each I would improve audio quality. I would learn little tricks. I would get new equipment. You know, so with that, I just jumped into it and I've kind of made that my thing where I'm not going to cover who you see on Nancy Grace, but I, you know, the other people who, you know, there's so many people who just don't, you know, garner the attention from the mainstream media. So that's kind of what I like to focus on the most. That is excellent. I've listened to your latest episodes and they're phenomenal. Your quality is great. So I think you've done excellent work on that. Now, how do you select the person? Would you say that these are investigations or you feature them? Well, I would say early on, I was doing a lot of just picking cases that I felt were of interest to me and some that had interesting audio, like a 911 call or something like that. And then doing a lot of just hours and hours of research on the internet. And then as the show has evolved, because I'm kind of shy and I don't like to impose on people, but I finally got a little bit more confident and I just reached out to a couple families who seemed like they were trying to get more media attention and weren't getting it. And they were receptive to being on the show. And so my show kind of evolved And it's kind of evolved a couple times where it went from me just telling the story with some audio to me telling the story, or actually I should say the families telling the story with me narrating around them to now we're doing more of like investigating where I brought someone on to help me on the show. His name's Nathan. He's a reporter for 15 years and So he doesn't mind doing the cold calls that I personally hate doing. So I do more of talking with the friends and the family, the people who want to talk. And he does more of the calling the people that you think could be involved in someone's disappearance or, you know, the people who don't really want to talk to you. And it's a good balance because that's not within my comfort zone. And he likes doing that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where my show's taken a second turn where the episode that I put out, not my last one, but the one before, after I put that out, the police got a bunch of leads and they've been actually like out tracking them down. So I feel like the show's at the point where it's not just about awareness anymore. We're trying to push it a step further. So... 
That is absolutely amazing. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Now, how did you and Nathan get in touch? Okay, so this is interesting. And it's kind of funny how you can just randomly find somebody who lives in another part of the country and it just works. You know, he had covered a man who's been missing since 2004 for the paper that he writes for. And he had been covering this story for, I believe, nine years now. And he had kind of taken that story beyond just a reporting level to an investigating level. And I had read some of his articles and I was interested in covering this missing man. And I called him and he was really receptive to being involved in the podcast. And so we started working on an episode, which turned into four, about this missing man. And he had all this audio from when he had interviewed all these people on his own for the paper and actually for his own research, because he's actually involved now in a documentary and writing a book about it. So he got all this audio. It was on old tapes. And so he had to digitize it all. And it was a huge process. And he said, you know, I would be interested in helping you beyond just covering Amos. And I said, okay, you know, I could really use the help because it started getting to the point where I was really at the max uh, for what one person can do as far as interviewing people and then piecing a whole podcast together with multiple interviews. I found that once you get to having about three different interviews in an episode, the amount of time that goes into piecing everything together and narrating around it became so much that I couldn't really do much more. So with bringing him on, you know, me talking to the friends and family, and then I start putting it together and he makes phone calls and sends me the audio. Having that extra person is really helpful. That is amazing. If you could hire another person, what would be your next hire, do you think? That's tough. I think that part of me would say I would love for someone to take over social media, but at the same time, people seem to like that I'm very approachable on social media and I wouldn't want to hand that off to someone else and people think that was me. You know, I have a kind of like a trust issue. Mm -hmm. It would have to be someone that I really trusted. But that's one thing that does take a lot of my time. I get a lot of messages from people and I try to write back to most of them. As time goes on, it becomes harder to return every email or return every single message. But that's one thing that I feel like takes up a lot of my time. But other than that, I think just having someone to go and just do some basic fact finding and organization of all those facts would be helpful because as you improve your sound quality and all of that, your production time becomes larger. And like I said, when you have more interviews and you're trying to intertwine them together, the time that goes into it is way more than people realize. And I do all of that myself. So that's where I kind of feel like, I don't know if I want anybody else messing with that. But Mm -hmm. if I could have somebody who was taking all the basic facts and just organizing them. So when I was done, one can move on to the next and just have it all laid out, it would be a little bit easier for me, I think. I mean, Nathan's actually doing a lot of that right now. But we're both doing an immense amount of work for two people. So certainly sounds like it. Yeah, my show is very simple with the amount of editing that needs to be done. And it still takes a lot of time. So yours must be 
That's got to be a lot of time. I can't even guess. Yeah, it ends up being a lot of time. I know people get picky with things like, you know, those kinds of things. So Mm -hmm. even with guests, I don't take them all out because then it's not conversational. But I try to take out like half of them or three quarters of them. Some people, you know, depending on where they're from, I say, you know, a lot. It's a, apparently a lot of people around here too, but, and yep. I know I say it because I've had to hear myself on recordings, but I do try to edit out some of that to make it a little bit better for the listener, I guess. But, you know, I, you start to become a little bit too much of a perfectionist, I think. And, and you have to take a little bit of a step back sometimes when it just, you're spending, you just spent four hours taking ums out of a a half hour clip, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I feel the same way. I feel that sometimes when people are listening to someone and they're not seeing them and they hear the ums and the likes and you knows and the stutter starts, then they respect the person a little less. And it's, it's certainly cultural because I think that it depends on what part of the country you live in, what sort of colloquialisms you're used to or speech patterns or whatever. So I have the same sort of problem. And also I say, you know, because we're actually from almost the same area. I say, you know, a lot (laughs) on that. Yeah, it's funny. And I have found that when I've had people on who have a really southern accent, I'll get people from other countries that really struggle to understand Mm -hmm. that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, there's not much I can do about an accent, but other people seem to be able to understand it just fine. And I think it's sometimes it's just their people just aren't used to hearing that. Absolutely. Now, can you talk us through your process a little bit? I would love to hear from, you know, from the beginning until you publish your episode. What does it look like? Well, so the stories come to us now. It used to be that I would pick them, but now my next is scheduled out with people who have come to me and asked to have coverage for their missing family member. And so that's the first part of the whole, how it gets started. So I really just fill people in based on first come first serve. Although there are times where I have to move somebody around for some reason, just this past week, I moved an episode about two missing teens up from March till the end of November, because it was urgent. These kids just went missing in October and November of this year, and nobody was looking for them. They were calling them runaways, and they couldn't get any news coverage. So I made the decision, just because I was having trouble sleeping at night as a parent myself, it was really bothering me. But other than that, I just put them in order as they come in. And I don't like giving special treatment to cases that I think will be more popular or get more downloads. It just doesn't sit right with me. So I schedule them. And then what I do is I schedule an interview with their family. And then I try to get, if I can, a friend is always nice because sometimes people go missing and their friends know things their family doesn't know. Like you may tell your friend something about trouble with your boyfriend that you don't tell your mom about, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So we try to get a friend if possible. And then once we get that information, because most of the time we get way more information from the family than what you can find online. So we go over what we have and then we say like, okay, we want to go down this avenue or that avenue. We try to get law enforcement on the phone. Sometimes 
they are more than happy to talk to us because they're kind of at a dead end. And other times they just don't seem to want outside involvement. So sometimes they'll talk to us and sometimes they'll just say, no, we're not going to talk to you. You know, we can't tell you anything. So we run into both scenarios, but we try to get a statement at least from law enforcement because a lot of times families are saying to us, that law enforcement isn't doing anything or they're not doing enough or they're labeling their loved one a runaway and they're saying they have other priorities. So we want to get a statement from them just to at least show that we tried. So we do that and then we try to run down these other avenues, get a hold of other people who might be relevant to the story, may know something. And then once we have everything, I start putting it together and I kind of try to make it as linear as possible. So sometimes with a story, say I have three or four different people, I need to break those interviews up because we may be talking about one aspect of the story, but we have three different people discussed it in their interviews. So I have to take that piece and then say, you know, this is what the mom said and then play it. And this is the friend and this is somebody else, you know, employer or something So that's what takes the most time is the cutting up of little couple sentences here or there and narrating around that. It can be time consuming because you have to kind of write around different people to introduce something or, you know, introduce what the person's about to say and then transition into the next thing. So that's the most time consuming aspect of it all. But then after that, you know, once I have all the clips laid out, then I go and I record and then I place everything. And that takes a really long time. So that's pretty much our process. It is amazing. And the more you talk about it, I just have to say I have so much respect for what you're doing. This is amazing. You're doing so much for these families, for these people that are missing. It's so much work for you. And it sounds like you're really making a huge difference. So I just want to say I'm impressed and kudos to you. Oh, thank you. And that's the payback at the end, right? I started this as like a hobby. And now I feel like the audience is large enough. Enough people are listening that that we are making a difference. And so I feel like when you're doing something it's not only important to you, it's important to all these people. I've had people on the show who couldn't get coverage for their, like the one woman couldn't get coverage for her missing brother for like 40 years. And she was just the sweetest woman. And, you know, you just feel so bad and giving these people a voice and all of their stories are interesting. And they'll tell me that, you know, Dr. Phil or Nancy Grace show has told them, you know, they didn't have enough details or it wasn't sensational enough. And it's just, I don't know how you can say that to someone and sleep at night, I guess. And that's why I don't ever turn any family away ever. And I think that shows how much integrity you have, which is just, it's monumental in today's day and age. Yeah. I mean, to me, I know certain cases are not going to get as many downloads as others. But at the end of the day, that's not the most important thing. So, you know, I don't let that guide me in my decisions. And I really just couldn't say no to somebody. So it's just, you know, somebody might not care. You know, it's funny, missing men in particular seem to get almost no coverage. And that's a lot of my episodes are about missing men because 
people, families have seen that I've been willing to cover them. So I get a lot of requests from their families now. And at times it seems like my schedule has a lot of missing men, but their stories are just as interesting. I mean, you look at some of these people and you're like, who can make that person disappear? That's the person that I would feel comfortable having walk me to my car at night and somebody made that person disappear. That's scary, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, I think the media gets, you know, these mainstream shows, I think they do get it wrong sometimes. I think they don't give the audience enough credit for their interest in missing people beyond a small defined group. I think people would care. I mean, when you take it down to a level of this is somebody's child, everybody or somebody's brother or somebody's sister, everybody can get to that level and understand why it's important. You know, it's just basic. Absolutely. I think it. you bring up such an interesting point, something that had never, ever crossed my mind. But your show is the first time I've ever heard about a man missing. And when I go back into my sort of history, going through all the file folders in my brain of people that I know I've seen on the news for missing, it's always women and children. I don't right. think I can tell you of a man that I've seen a news story on. So that, again, is amazing that you're bringing coverage to these people that have not gotten it. Yeah. And it just seems they get dismissed like, oh, they probably committed suicide. That's something that is often said about missing men or they took off on their own or people just think, oh, they can take care of themselves. Look at it. It's this big muscular guy. But I mean, something happened to him and their families are searching. So I think it deserves. And, you know, when you look at the nightly news, sometimes they play the most idiotic stories, but they'll refuse to cover a missing person. It just blows my mind. You know, it is one of the reasons why I do not watch the nightly news. <laughs> I yeah. agree with you. There's right. a lot of ridiculous stuff out there. Right. It is. I can't stand it sometimes. So I don't understand some of their reasoning behind overlooking certain people. But that's why, you know, people who listen to podcasts, I swear they are very open minded, whatever bias the mainstream media thinks that their audience has, the podcast listening audience does not have that bias because I have not had really any problems with people not caring about missing men or missing minorities or anything like that. So people seem to appreciate that they're hearing about the people, not the same people that they see over and over and over and over again on TV. So and you bring up another good point. I think that minorities definitely get less coverage when it comes to missing persons cases. So now we're saying, you know, essentially white women and white children. I totally agree. I think that it's really wonderful what you're doing. And another thing I think is amazing is that it seems to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that you really give each story the time that it needs. And so however many episodes it takes, you cover that story in its entirety. This is true. You know, I like to aim for like 45 minutes, an hour, hour, 15 minutes. People seem to download an episode more if it's more than 45 minutes long. But not everybody has enough information for that long of an episode. So you'll see some of mine are like 36 minutes or 26 minutes. And I'm not going to pad the episode with 20 minutes of me just going on and on about nothing. I'm actually not good at that. And so (laughs) I try to be concise And I will cover someone, even if there's not a lot of information, but I just give every story the amount of time that it needs. And some stories have so much information that they do 
need a lot more time. Others, you wish you had more information, but there's just nothing. I mean, some people are just gone and there's just nothing, no information. And so those are tough. But yeah, I do try to, I give each story the time that it needs to be told, whether it's a half an hour or it's two episodes or three. So and my artist heart loves that. I love that you do that. I think it's so valuable. And I think it also builds your audience's trust in you because you're letting them know that you're always being honest with them. Yeah. And I think that I'm one of those people that lives like way too far in the emotional realm of life to my own detriment at times. But I really do connect with people and I really do care about each and every person that I interview and I actually keep in contact with most of them over time. And I have noticed that that seems to resonate with the audience, that they can tell that I do really connect with these people. And, you know, it's one of those things where it can be tough at times because I take that home with me. I mean, essentially I'm at home when I'm working on the podcast, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I do carry that because I connect with people on that level. I really feel for them and it's upsetting. And I think to myself, I just covered these two missing teens, right? And I was thinking to myself the other day, you know, I'm about to sit down and have dinner with my children and enjoy that. And these two moms, they don't know where their sons are at. And I can't even begin to imagine what that must feel like. So sometimes it can be tough, but it really gives you that perspective on life that you don't know what's going to happen and really appreciate, you know, each holiday. I know so many times we all dread, oh, we have to go to Thanksgiving and deal with, uh, you know, your crazy aunt or, you know, your racist grandfather or something. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like, you know, you you never know what's going to be the last time that you see somebody. And so many of these stories have made that very clear to me that nobody expects their loved one to go missing and really enjoy those moments. Take them in when you can get the time to spend with your loved ones, whether it's friends or family. Wise words, wise words. So what you're doing is so fabulous and so amazing and so important. So I definitely want to see you go at this full time. What's your steps for making that happen? Well, at this point, I have advertising now for the podcast and I'm ready to take that leap. I just am waiting a couple months until I see that it's consistent and that I can count on it. You know what I mean? I'm afraid to actually quit my job and then, you know, Mm -hmm. it might be great one month and then not so great another. And that's what I'm afraid of. So I'm just waiting a few more months to get to that point where I feel comfortable quitting my job because that's a big move. You can't just go, oh, wait, never mind. This month was a bad month. You didn't get enough advertising for whatever reason. So it's just I have to get to that point where I feel comfortable because it's not just me now, right? I have Nathan who's helping me and I feel like I need to compensate him fairly for his time once that money starts coming in. So, you know, I don't want to be the one expecting him to volunteer his time for my podcast kind of thing. So, I want to get to the point where I feel comfortable that this revenue will be 
consistent. So I'm just waiting a few more months and then hopefully I will be able to take that leap. I have cut down my time at the office though. So that has helped immensely. Are you 30 hours, 20 hours? How much are you doing? I've actually backed my work week down to being in the office two days and I bring stuff home to work on at home. So that cuts it down to only four hours of commuting a week. Nice. Yeah. I am very lucky in New York City that I can just sit on a train. And even when we're stuck underground, I can be writing or reading some pocket articles that I saved. So it's actually not so terrible. But I understand if you were driving that it would basically be wasted unless you have an audiobook. Yeah. And I kind of it's this weird thing that I find that when I go to work, I kind of reset. And this is one of the reasons I kind of have a a little bit of a hesitation to quit my job. So what I do is I've been releasing episodes on Tuesdays, and then I'll go to work Wednesday, Thursday, and then I kind of get reset. And then once I leave work on Thursday, I am ready to rock and roll and get working. And I feel like it cuts down on the burnout kind of thing that some people get with podcasting where I go, oh, work was such a pain. I can't wait to go work on my podcast because I took two days off from it. And I do find that that's a little that is helpful. But I'm a little nervous to completely give that up. Oh, I can see that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. If only it wasn't so far. <laughs> uh, I I understand. Would they let you work from home at all or no? Well, I do some working from home. But it's tough. It's tough to completely work from home because so many of our files are still paper, Mm. which is kind of a pain in the neck. But it got to the point with my job where what I do mostly at work now is a little bit boring. So that is something pushing me out out the door. It's not quite the niche legal work that I find to be the most interesting, but it's everything has its own importance and it's it's important work so you know I do say that to myself but it is a little boring it's mostly taking care of guardian guardianship or I should say the finances for guardianship cases people who have been declared incompetent by the courts Hmm. so we have to make their medical decisions we have to pay their bills So it's a lot of paying of bills for people who have Alzheimer's or people with severe mental illness, that kind of thing. It's boring work, but it's important. I mean, the need for that does exist within society and somebody has to do it. And not everybody has family to do it for them or family who can be trusted to do it and not take their Mm -hmm. money. So, I mean, that that's happened a lot. And that's a lot of how people get input into the system like that. So that's mostly what I do now. It's a little boring, but important in its own right. Definitely. Now switching gears a little bit, what would you say is the biggest assumption that people make about you? That's a tough question. I would say that actually, I don't know. That's good. That's that's a tough one. I, I don't I'm not Well, I would say people seem to get the idea from listening to the show that I am more outgoing than I really am, I would say. I think that moving into interviews was a really tough thing for me to do. And sometimes even still it is. Because not only is it out of my element because I'm a shy person and I'm very introverted, 
but it's tough because you're dealing with a really emotional subject and you really have to watch how you talk to people who are dealing with most likely the most horrible thing they've ever gone through in their whole entire lives. So, you know, you really have to be conscious of how you're speaking to people going through these horrible situations. So I think people get the, have the assumption that this is something that, (laughs) that I'm comfortable with or, or that it comes easy for me. It doesn't. I would say that sort of two things. One, I would say that that's why you're the perfect person to do it because you are so conscientious about it because it doesn't come easy to you. And two, I'm really appreciative that you did this interview with me if it's not your favorite thing. Yeah, for some reason, this is a little bit easier because I'm not worried about using the correct tense because some people are really sensitive about talking about their loved one in past tense because that bothers them because they just want to believe that they're still alive, that they're still out there. So some people are really sensitive about that. And you have to be careful when you're discussing like, well, what was that person wearing kind of thing and not what kind of person was he? Because they still speak of them in the present tense, all, even though they've been missing for a couple years. So you really do have to kind of listen to how people, what tense people use and pick up on that and be careful with it. It's so impressive that you think about all those things and do such a good job with it. Yeah, well, the, I had the one couple I had on the phone, their son, and they were the sweetest people, but he the dad would say he was and he wasn't saying it in a manner that he thought that he wasn't no longer here but he was saying you know at the time he was and the wife kept in the background correcting him and it was just kind of a funny dynamic between this married couple you know but you could tell it really bothered her now what would be one takeaway you would want people to get from this podcast well i would say that Like I mentioned earlier, the takeaway, well, I would hope that most people, you know, would really stop and slow down and really think before just rushing through life as we're all so busy, you know, we've got work and our home lives and our kids have school and all this homework and it is really hectic all the time, but really make time to slow down and enjoy those people who are most special to you because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, it could be, you know, something horrible could happen and it doesn't even have to be like a missing person situation. It could be a car accident or something, something you just don't know or you don't expect or illness. And, and really after talking to so many people who it's like their loved ones were just snatched out of their lives, right? Whether they were actually snatched by someone or not, but that's, what it feels like within their own lives is really just to take that time and not be paranoid per se and always think that that's going to happen, but to make that decision to spend a little bit of extra time with your parents and your children and, you know, those people who are important, your friends, and really actually let them know, let people know that you care. And also I will say, If you're worried that like a friend of yours or a family member is in an abusive relationship, because that's a theme that's come up many times in my podcast, like really let that person know that you're there because, you know, that's something that I've seen that somebody disappear and it appears to be a domestic violence situation. And then I, you know, I think at times appeared to that person that nobody was there. People get uncomfortable. They don't want to 
necessarily approach certain situations head on, but I think just letting people know that you're there for them because you never know when they're going to need someone that they trust to reach out to. Excellent advice. Now, do you have a book you would like to recommend to the Notable Woman audience? Let me think about that for a minute. A lot of books that I actually really like, but a particular one, and I keep thinking of this one and it's like totally not relevant to really my subject matter, but it's just a book that I really like and it's true crime related. But I would say... You can suggest the one that popped into your head. Okay. Well, there's this one book and I really like it because it's true crime related and I just am interested in mysteries. and It's very historical. It's called The Devil in the White City. It's about H.H. H. Holmes and his crime, I should say the crimes he committed during the World's Fair. So that's just like a totally random, just a personal interest book of mine that I like. doesn't really relate to, to my life so much, but I just find it to be interesting. I'm interested in history, true crime, all kinds of different stuff. So Awesome. I will put a link to it in the show notes. It's one that I have on my list that I haven't gotten to. So hopefully this is a kick in the pants. I need to go read it. Yeah, it's pretty long. And I found in the beginning, it was like a little bit slow. And it took me a couple of attempts to really get into it, especially, you know, once you have kids, it's reading books. Although now that we have audiobooks, it's much easier to find time to listen. But to actually sit down with a book when my kids were younger was tough. But now that they're a little bit older, I have more time for these kinds of things. <laughs> I look so. forward to that time. <laughs> yeah. Now, how can people get in touch with you if they want to connect? I am on Facebook. I have a page for the show. It's the Vanished Podcast. But if you send me a message, I'm the only one that respond, that reads them or responds. And I'm also on Twitter. I have my Twitter handles at the Vanished Pod. And I also have an email I have a couple, but this one's easier for people to spell. It's the vanished podcast at gmail.com. And I do try to respond to as many of those emails as possible. Oh, and on my website, there's a contact form. So the vanished podcast.com. And then there's a contact form where people can reach out to me. And, you know, like the other day I had a mom message me on Facebook and she said, she asked me, how much we charge to cover someone because their son's been missing. You know, we don't charge anything to cover someone on our show. And I was like, oh, no, absolutely not. Nothing. I mean, no way. We would never do that. And plus, you know, we have sponsorships and we have a Patreon now that that's what covers our production costs and, and stuff. I would never dare ask anybody. That just seems so wrong to me. I was like, oh, no way. We don't charge people. <laughs> That is awesome. And also you have your own patron. That's exciting. Yeah. Although I don't push it a whole lot because I hate asking people for stuff. It's one of my things that I feel like every now and then I'll mention it on one of my episodes, you know, so it's helpful, but I try not to bug people. I hate coming across as just bugging people for money all the time. So, but I do appreciate it because it does help with some of our costs because everything, you know, you have all these little things that cost a little bit each month for the podcast. It adds up after time. So mm -hmm. I hear you on that. 
Well, Marissa, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. I'm so impressed with you. I think what you're doing is phenomenal. So thanks for coming and talk to us about it. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Wow. Wow. Wasn't that fabulous? I'm a huge fan of Marissa's work, and it was such a joy to sit down and speak with her. I'm really, 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 really impressed with what she does, and I hope that you will take the time. Go check out her podcast. You can catch her on iTunes. And yeah, wow. I'll catch you again next week. Bye for now.